I want to focus on prayer this morning. Um, prayer is a vital part of our relationship with the Lord. Uh, in prayer, we, we express to the Lord how much we love Him, and, and uh, prayer is a time to talk to God and listen to God. A lot of people think, well, prayer is just talking to God, but it's also a time to sit and listen to what God has to say. We're going to, uh, I hope that your prayer time is more than just crisis praying. You know, some people only pray in crisis. Uh, we heard a lot about that this week as a football player was hurt, I think it was last Sunday afternoon, when he was hit and had the cardiac arrest, and, and even the sportscaster prayed on air over national TV, uh, the, the prayer. And we've heard a lot about prayer this week, but I hope that your prayer time is more than just praying in crises. I hope that it's, it's a, a vital part of your daily life. Uh, recently, somebody gave me a book entitled uh, The Grace Outpouring, Becoming a People of Blessing. And its author, Roy Godwin, is the uh, director of a house of prayer and missional retreat center in Wales. Uh, it's a place called Falderbrennan. I'd never heard of it before, and uh, probably ha you haven't either. Uh, he's also uh, a planter of houses of churches in Wales and around the Mediterranean Sea. And this book tells about his journey of going from just a small retreat center to reaching out and touching people around the world. Now, in one of the chapters, he talks about his, the desire that he and his wife have for touching all of Wales. Now, if you're not familiar with Wales, it's on the west side of the island of Great Britain. It's a separate nation within the, the kingdom. Um, anyway... For 52 weeks, they enlisted prayers to pray one hour a day for their county, which was, let me, let me make sure I get this right, Pembrokeshire. And so for about 10 hours every day, for 52 weeks, they interceded for Pembrokeshire. And they said at the end of the 52 weeks that they were they were convicted that they didn't need to, to do that anymore, but they wanted to go ahead and pray for Wales. And so they began to enlist people to pray with them uh, daily for Wales. And first there were 32, then there were over 500, and then before too long, the number got so big they couldn't even count how it was. And one of the things that they asked Roy to do was to, to give us a, a, a starter, some way to get started in praying for our, our nation. And so what he wrote was this... this uh, Caleb prayer for the nation, for Wales, was the way it was, he originally wrote it, Caleb prayer for Wales. And as that was published, people began to pray that around the world for their own nations. And after I got that book and discovered that prayer, I've been using that prayer in my, in my prayer time as an outline. Uh, much like people use um, Acts, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, uh, Supplication, or they use the Lord's Prayer as an outline for prayer, or many of you remember the prayer of Jabez from several years ago. I use that for that. And here, it's in your bulletin. Uh, I hope that you'll keep it in your bulletin, uh, in your Bible, uh, as a way to, um, to help you in prayer. But the prayer is this, O High King of Heaven, have mercy in our land, Re revive your people or your church, send the Holy Spirit for the sake of the lost, the least, and the broken. May your kingdom come. Your will be done in our nation. In Jesus' name, amen. As you, 
as I said, you could pray the prayer in about 15 seconds, or you can use it as an outline, which is what I do. Um, but before we examine the prayer, I want us to go look at the life of the person that, it, that inspired uh, Godwin. So if you'll open your Bibles to Joshua 14, and I didn't open there. Hang on just a second. Joshua 14. And you'll stand in honor of God's Word. We'll begin reading in the sixth verse. Now, this is after they've gone into the promised land, and after they've conquered the promised land, they're beginning to divide the promised land. Uh, Verse 6 says, The descendants of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Zephenah, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord promised Moses, the man of God, at at Canaan Barnea about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the Lord's servant, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to scout the land, and I brought back an honest report. My brothers who went with me caused the people to lose heart, but I followed the Lord my God completely. On that day, Moses swore to me, the land where you have set foot will be an inheritance for you and your descendants forever, because you have followed the Lord my God completely. As you see, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years as he promised since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. Here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day of Moses sent me out. My strength for battle and for daily task is now as it was then. Now give me this hill country the Lord promised me on that day, because you have heard then that the the Anakim are there as well as large fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out, as the Lord promised. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron still belongs to Caleb, son of Zephunneh, the Kenizzite, as an inheritance today, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, completely. Hebron's name used to be Kiriath Arba, Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. After this, the land had rest from war. Father, again, thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Go ahead and be seated. The scripture tells us that Abraham, excuse me, Caleb was a man that followed the Lord wholeheartedly or completely. In fact, in Joshua 14, we read that three times uh, He followed the Lord as God wholeheartedly. I'm going to read from the NIV. I first read from the CSB, the NIV. Uh, Joshua 14.8 says, My fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt, melt in fear. I, however, follow the Lord my God wholeheartedly. In verse 9, So on that day Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. And then verse 14. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Zephunneh the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. That word wholeheartedly means with complete sincerity and commitment. And that's how he followed the Lord. Now, let's go back to where we first meet Caleb. Caleb 
was of the tribe of Judah, which was the largest of the tribes. And when the Lord told uh, Abraham, excuse me, when the Lord told Moses, uh, I want you to go into the land and divide the land, Caleb was the one that represented Judah. Now, the Israelites were, were, were um, at a, an oasis in the south of the Negev called Kadesh Barnea. And they were camped there when God came to them. Uh, it's been a year or two since they'd left Egypt, and they'd seen lots of things that God had done. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw uh, water flowing from a rock when they were in the middle of the desert. They saw how God fed two to three million people with what is it or manna every day. They'd fought the Malachite raiders. They'd won. Moses has received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, and he destroyed the golden calf. They've received the law on how to live in a relationship with the Lord. Um, they've said to the God, yes, we will live in covenant with you. We will be faithful with, to you. They built the, the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant, and they were established as a nation under God, with God as their king. And so God says, okay, everything's ready. Now's the time to go into the promised land. And so Caleb who was 40 years old at the time, he's already told us that, along with, with 11 others that were the heads or, or representatives of each tribe went into the land. It was the land called the promised land, the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would have. And it, God said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. That means it has everything they needed. It was a great land. In fact, as they scouted out the land, they saw the produce of the land, and they carried out, it says they carried out a bunch of grapes on a pole between two men. That's how great it was. But they also saw the inhabitants. They saw the cities. As they went from north to south, and especially the city of Hebron, which was a, a great city with walls, and, and it was... It was um, inhabited by a group of people called the Anakim or the descendants of Anak who were giants. And it scared them to death. In fact, ten of the spies said, we're afraid to go. And here's what they said. We saw the descendants of Anak there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. And so in chapter 14 of Numbers, it says that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. And the next morning they decided, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get rid of Moses. We're going to get us a new leader. And we're going to go back to Egypt. But two men stood faithful, Caleb and Joshua. And in chapter 13, verse 30, the Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. And then in chapter 14, a little bit later, they said, the land we passed through and explored, it is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. But because of their fear and their lack of faith in what God could do, they refused to enter the promised land. And so God said, okay, don't want to go in? You won't. Every person from this generation 
will die before you go into the promised land, except for Caleb and Joshua. In fact, in Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, God says, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, there's that word again, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit, inherit it. So it's this man, this man who followed the Lord, this man of faith that inspired this prayer called the Caleb Prayer of Wales or the Caleb Prayer for the Nations. And as I said, it's a model prayer. Um, I want to read just a short excerpt from this book by Roy Godwin. He says, Caleb learns, excuse me, I can't even read. Caleb looms large for us as a biblical character. He was among those who, who were called to enter the promised land and conquer it. When the people were overwhelmed by the difficulties involved, Caleb challenged them with the words, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. His certainty was based on the fact that God was with them. And then Roy continued, We want to be like Caleb, having a spirit that's different from those around us, recognizing the difficulties of the present times, but choosing to trust in God, who enables us to inherit the promises. We want to follow the Lord our God wholeheartedly and see the kingdom of God released in our land during our lifetime. One of the things that I noticed as the land was divided, the place that Israel was so afraid of was the land, uh, was Hebron. Hebron was the city that was given to Caleb, who said, we can go in. We can do it in the power of the Lord, in faith in what God has promised to us. So the Caleb prayer is a prayer of faith. It's a seven-line prayer uh, written, inspired by Scripture, but it's encouraging us to ask by faith. As I thought about that, I remembered that sometimes we're weak in faith. And I remember the man that said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Do you remember that story? This man had a boy that, that the symptoms looked to be like epilepsy. He kept falling into the water or falling into fire. And they brought him, his son to the disciples and they couldn't heal it. Well, when Jesus got there, they were, the crowd was arguing with the disciples, and Jesus said, what are you arguing with them about? And someone from the crowd said, teacher, I brought my son to you, and he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And he says, I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they couldn't. And Jesus replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foam into the mouth. Jesus said, how long has this been happening to him? And the father replied, from childhood. And many times it's thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, I, I underline those in my, my scriptures, have compassion on us. Jesus said, if you can... Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. And that's the situation we're in so often. Lord, we believe. Help my unbelief. And then I remember when James talks about prayer in chapter 5. He says, the prayer of faith 
will save the sick person. The Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is very effective. So with that in mind, I want us to look at the Caleb prayer. It begins, O high King of heaven, begin with praise. We begin our prayer time recognizing who God is. And so your time of prayer can be as long or short as the Lord leads. And then when we recognize who God is, we look at God, it leads us to worship Him. And so we begin with worship. And we cannot worship unless we surrender ourselves totally to Christ. And so we have a time of surrender. Lord, surrender. I surrender myself to you. And then as, as I think about surrender, it reminds me I'm a sinner. And so I need to re- repent of my sin and confess my sin. And so as we begin, we begin in, in praise, in worship, in surrender, and in confession of sin. The next phrase is, have mercy in our, on our land. Oh boy, that's a lot of things we can pray. As we look at our land, there are so many things we need to pray about in our land. I look at all the trouble across our land. I look at all the, the nonsense going on in our land. I look at all the sin going on in our, our land. As I ask the Lord to, to bless our land, I, I pray for our nation, for our leaders. I pray that we return to a time when, when people recognized who the Lord was, whether they worship Him or not, they'd at least recognize Him. I pray for a great awakening in our land. We've not had a great awakening since the early 19th century. I pray that God will do what He's done before, where He would show Himself and, and people would come back to the Lord and we'd see lots of people saved. Pray for thousands to come to Christ. Lord, have mercy in our land. Mercy is what we don't deserve, but mercy is what God gives us out of His grace. The next phrase is revive your people or revive your church. And I pray for the church. I pray for Lynn Lane Baptist Church that God would would revive us, that God would do a, a mighty work in our lives. And that requires that we surrender. So I pray for that, that we surrender to Him totally. And that God would do a great and mighty work that we see people saved. I pray for the churches across the land. I pray for the preaching of the Word of God. Because as, I, as I've heard from so many people, the Word of God's not being preached. It's been watered down. I pray that, that people would repent and they'd hear the word of repentance and hear that there's salvation in Jesus Christ alone. I pray for our staff. I pray for our ministry leadership, that God would lead us and guide us. And I pray for you. God, bless our church. And the next line is, pour your spirit out upon the lost and the least and the broken. And we know that God, God wants, desires to lead, uh, to pour his spirit out as people are open. So I ask you to pray, I, I pray for the lost. I pray for my family, for my kids and my grandkids, by name, individually. That God would pour His Spirit out upon them. I pray for their relationship with Christ and their walk with Jesus. I pray that 
His spirit would be poured down so that people would come under conviction and would return to Him. I pray for the least. And in the Scriptures, the least are, are called often the, the widows and orphans. And so you can compare that in our land. The, the least and the broken. And we know who the broken are. Those that are broken over so many different things. As God brings these people to mind, that's who we pray for. The lost and the least and the broken. The next phrase is, may your kingdom come. This is an echo from the Lord's Prayer. And I pray that God's kingdom come. And I pray that God's kingdom come into people's lives. Because when we're saved, the kingdom of God comes in us. And so I pray for the kingdom to come. But I also pray for the Lord's return when He will reign eternally in His eternal kingdom. As it says in, in the book of Revelation, Maranatha, Lord, come. This is also where I pray for myself. That God would do His work in me, that His kingdom would reign in me. God's will be done in my life. May your will be done in our nation. Another phrase from the Lord's will, from the Lord's prayer. Praying for our nation again, once again. The next line is in Jesus' name. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. What do you say? If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. What does he mean? It means that pray according to his will, for his glory, and in his power. Is that the way you pray? Praying for his will to be done? That's what we pray when we pray in Jesus' name. The last word is amen. A lot of times people think, well, that, that's just what we tack on at the end of prayer so God will know we're done. Do you know in one of the praises in the book of Revelation chapter uh, 7, is that where we are today, chapter 7? It begins with amen. Well, maybe it's not something we just tack on at the end. In the Old Testament, um, this word is often linked with praise. So we begin prayer time with praise and we end prayer time with praise. The word itself means uh, so be it or verily or truly. One author says that whenever we pray and we say amen at the end of the prayer, we're telling God that we really meant what we said. God, I really mean this. Another author says it shows that we believe God has heard our prayer and will answer it in his perfect way. So I want to encourage you to pray. I want you to pray this year like you've never prayed before. And I want you to, to use, not you don't have to use this prayer, but this is a good pr prayer to use, a good tool to use to help to guide your prayer time. If you want to continue using Acts, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication, that's wonderful. If you want to use the Lord's Prayer as your outline to prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us not our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. It's more than just something to be recited. Or the prayer of Jabez, and I don't remember it off the top of my head. Enlarge our kingdom. Bless me. Um, but I want to encourage you to pray. Now, as I said, we're going to use our prayer time today. We're going to use this as an outline for prayer. So would you join me as we pray this morning?